turn with us to um, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, and that's fine if you don't have your Bibles. By the way, people are doing a great job bringing their extra Bibles, leaving them at the info hub, and um, you those are free for you to take. So if you don't have a physical Bible, feel free, stop at the info hub, peruse through it. There's some study Bibles. There's some different, uh, by the way, if you get, if you have a Bible that says those, all of these words don't sound exactly what we're reading. I read from the uh, English standard version, ESV. And then somebody would say, well, what are these different versions, right? There's the, well, first of all, King James was the original that was translated from uh, probably Latin back then, but the original um, Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. Hebrew would be the Old Testament, Greek would be the New Testament. But what they would do is they would translate the original Greek and Hebrew into the English language. But as our language has evolved, if you say, we have now made translations that are more modern to the way we would speak today. So trying to keep true to the meaning of it, and there's some great Bible apps out there if you want to go back into the Greek and Hebrew and really look at those uh, more closely. But I do read out of the English Standard Version, um, and but there's other great versions out there as well. But I just want to bring clarity. It's like, how come I, they're not matching completely what um, they're saying? It is all the Word of God, and I've perused, perused those Bibles, and you're safe to grab any one of those Bibles. Okay, First Peter chapter uh, 4. Um, really, uh, the couple of questions that came to my mind in reading this, I think, is uh, important to address. First of all, does God judge our life? And if so, to what standard? Does God judge us, even as Christians, does God judge us? And if so, to what standard? Kind of good to know that, right? You don't want to... By the way, at Grace Capital Church, we say we're getting ready to meet Jesus face to face. Right, we're all going to have um, to meet him, and then I think he's going to ask us a few things, and we do that by reaching the lost, caring for the least, and training the found. But what does God judge, or does God judge our lives? And if so, to what standard? Now, question number one. Number two is when you get saved, and saved is like when you give your life to Jesus. You've been born again. You've Christ now lives in you. Um, do you get a pass on your sin? Do you get a pass on your sin? Now, some, some of you be like, I want to know that. Because if I get a pass, that's, I think I like that. Or do you? Number three um, is, is there merit to the prosperity gospel? If you've ever heard the prosperity gospel, it basically says, as Christians, we should live healthy and be wealthy. Is there merit to it? First uh, Peter talks about that. Remember, Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He walked with Jesus on this earth. He was the one who was uh, feisty. He was the one who walked on water. He's the one that denied Jesus three times. He's the one that lopped off the soldier's ear when Jesus was going to be arrested. And yet he was the very one that Jesus chose to build his church upon. So now he's writing to the early church. And this is a letter to that early church. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
okay, there's already a lot packed in there that Peter's telling the early church. So since therefore Christ has suffered, he's saying, okay, we know that Jesus was crucified. We know that he was falsely accused. He was um, beaten and whipped. He was actually killed on a cross. Three days later, he rose again. But he says, as Jesus suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. In other words, take on, be prepared for the same way of thinking to say that you too will suffer. Okay, this is not a feel-good message, Mark. Already, you're, you're not making me feel good. Aren't I supposed to come to church to feel good? No, he's saying this. Why the suffering is good, though? Because whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It doesn't mean that you um, will never sin again. But has anybody gone through a sickness? Or has anybody gone through some really difficult times? Maybe just even conflict in family? Um, the passions of the flesh begin to dwindle away when you're going through that, right? You, why is it when people start really struggling in life, they come to church? <laughs> That's the time they want to get serious with God. Why? Because there's something that says, you know, something's not right in my life, and I don't want to go do the party life. I don't want to go live my own fleshly desires because that's not working out for me, and they come to the church. In essence, really what they're doing is they're coming to God. And, and if you've ever been that place where it's like, I'm at the bottom of the barrel for life, and we turn to God, we realize that we no longer want to sin because it didn't lead us into a great place. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for your human passions before the will of God. Saying, okay, you don't want to keep living for your flesh. When he says flesh, it's like those fleshly desires, right? It's like sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? There, there's something in this idea that we just live for our own satisfaction. We feed human appetites, and in many ways, those unchecked or out of their proper boundaries lead us to places that aren't good. For the time that is past suffices for what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, red solo cup parties. Well, it says drinking parties, but we know what red solo cup parties are, right? For those of you who went to college. Um, Drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Idolatry is when you put anything above God. Lawless is kind of like, I'm just kind of like going for it. There's no restraint. And basically, can I tell you that, that even just super getting passionate about sports, if that begins to like overtake your life and God does not not part of your life in that, then that is idolatry and that is sin. It's always the proper order of things. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, which is this kind of wild living, and they malign you, speak bad about you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Okay, interesting thing. Okay, now, now we're starting to answer, answer one of our questions about does, does God judge us do we have to give an account for our life but first of all you have to realize that when you make a choice to say i no longer want to live for my own fleshly desires i'm to live for god now when i don't join in with all the parties that all my friends are doing and they start making fun of me 
So that's the word of maligning, right? When they start making fun of you, um, then don't worry about it, first of all, because everybody is actually going to have to give an account to their life. It says for those who are the living and the dead. The living and the dead. So I would say this, the living and the dead. It's, whether you think it's the people who have already died, they're going to have to give an account for it. I, I, I believe what he's saying here, because there's other scripture that talks about when we're dead in our sin, when we're dead in our sin. I believe that when we are dead in our sin, in other words, uh, Jesus hasn't entered our life. And we're living um, just for our sinful pleasures. That would be considered that our, our spirit is dead. Our spirit is dead. But when we ask Jesus into our life, by the way, when you ask Jesus in your life, you're not going to have a perfect life. And it doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. And it doesn't mean you're not going to sin. It just means that we have somebody to walk alongside you, to empower you, to say, oh, man, I messed up again. Help me, Jesus, to do it your way next time. Right, that he comes, the helper comes, the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to not keep doing it because we realize that when we live a life of living just for selfish pleasures and I would just say sin, which is really the things that we do that, that um, bring hurt to ourselves and a lot of it is rooted in selfishness and, and just going after your passions and desires. Oh, I also want to bring up this one. When It's so easy to talk about you know, sex or drinking or those types of things when it talks about feeding our fleshly desires. But I want to talk about eating. Eating unchecked can really become a challenge for people too because you, you're cast off restraint. You no longer have self-discipline in your lives. And by the way, just so you know, nobody's pointing fingers here. We all find ourselves, right, whether in our past lives. But that's what he's saying. Let the past be the past. The way you once lived, and we all remember how we once lived, right, before Jesus. We remember. And thank the Lord for Jesus. Thank Jesus for Jesus. How does that work? <laughs> thank Jesus for Jesus. Because he rescued us from that. Because what, what that does is it ensnares us and, and, and burdens us and pulls us away from the things that give us peace and life and joy. See, I, I think a lot of times people think, especially younger, right? The Bible's about do's and don'ts and it's just keeping me away from the things that I really want to do and that these are good things and they're fun things. But, but you've been there, right? If you've lived a little bit longer, you've realized that those fun things actually lead to a lot of hurt and pain. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Okay, so the end of things is at hand. Some would say, hey, we're, we're in the end times. Now, Peter, I, there are a lot of the writings um, of the apostles and disciples of the New Testament would say, be watchful, the end is near. And, and can I tell you what? The end is near. For you and I, you might have... 40 years left, you might have 10 years left. The end is near for each one of us if you think about eternity, right? We're all going to die. The end is near. The end is near. But we also don't, do know that Jesus is coming back, right? At some point in time, but we don't know if he's coming back in our life or future generations. But the end is near for all of us in light of eternity. The end is near. The end is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled or self-disciplined. 
be sober-minded. Like, um, check your mind. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about all the time? And then it says, for the sake of your prayers. And that's interesting, for the sake of your prayers. So, so he's linking self-control and sober-mindedness to having our prayers being answered. And it's like, okay, is that right? But then you go back to what we talked about last week. And we said, how do we have our, ans- our prayers answered? Or is there ways that our prayers are not answered? And he goes, for, chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. I don't fully get that. Like, I, I just know that God's always open and accessible to us. But he is saying that there's something about our prayer life, maybe, that that is affected when we don't live self-controlled and sober-minded. How many people love to come close to God when they're living wild? <laughs> right? That's the last place you want to go to is close to God. Why? Because you're going to feel some conviction and you're going to feel some, definitely not condemnation by the way, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling condemnation, that is from the pit of hell. That's from the enemy. But conviction, on the other hand, is like, oh, God wants better for me, I think. So it's the battle between your flesh, your own will, and what God has for you. So then it says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins you know it, I, I want to tell you I've been duped I've been duped I've been duped to think that somehow I've got to become a better leader now leadership is not bad and I've taken all kinds of leadership things. I actually have a master's in strategic leadership. <laughs> but I've been duped because if I would have spent the same amount of time learning how to love well, I think there would be more fruit for the kingdom of God than learning how to lead well. <laughs> I know, I just kind of feel like I'm just throwing myself under the bus on that one. But I think it's true. I think it's true. And emotionally healthy relationships has really helped me to know how to love a whole lot better. And so again, just want to put a plug in for that. Really powerful. But he says this, above all. In other words, not all. Above everything else, the very top priority in your life is keep loving one another, not just casually, but earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, and so he's saying, what's, what's that? What's that all about? It's not like, okay, I love you so well, just go keep on sinning and I'll turn a blind eye. No, no, no. I think love covers a multitude of sins basically is saying, you know what, those little petty things that I can start backbiting about, <laughs> I, I don't need to be, because I, I care more about the relationship than I care about being right. It covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it, it makes you not so judgmental. It makes you not so critical because, you know, ultimately my job is to really care for you well, to love you super well. Then it goes on to say this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Somebody was excited about that one. <laughs> 
Um, one thing I always hear about people who visit this church, they say that you are a very friendly church. So thank you. Keep up the good work. Find people you don't know. Continue to introduce yourselves. Show hospitality to one another uh, without grumbling. Okay, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Do you realize that God has given each person a spiritual gift? Do you realize that God has given each person a spiritual gift? Uniquely, God has hardwired you with some spiritual gifts. Now, it plays out naturally sometimes in your life, but it's kind of fun to say, God, what have you given me? Part of our um, Next Steps membership class, by the way, membership is not like you know becoming a member of a club, like you get your like credentials of a member. It really is about just understanding how do we function together as a member of the family, how we begin to care for one another, how do we begin to serve each other. But part of what we do is we give you a spiritual gift survey, and you will find out what your spiritual gifts are in that Next um, next Steps membership um, class. That's coming up in September. You can sign up for that. But that's kind of cool because when you realize that God has given you a gift not for you, but it's to be shared with others, and that's the way we care for one another, it's really powerful. It says, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves with strength um, that God, God supplies. There's like... I don't know, there's like 25, there's a lot of spiritual gifts. I mean, so here he's just mentioning, he's just kind of giving you like three. Like I think there's gifts of serving in there, gifts of hospitality, speaks oracles oracles of God. That would be probably, could be tongues or prophecy. Um, and so he's just kind of lumping some things together. But there's the spiritual gift survey is taken from all the New Testament um, scripture and, and helps us understand what that is. So it's, it's interesting that God supplies it for why? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's why I love our worship team. When they, when they bring us closer to God, when they say this is about Jesus, this, Jesus, my fear, I might be afraid right now, but faith, my, my faith in Jesus Christ overcomes fear, right? We rise above because we belong, the, we realize that, that to him belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Jesus is our king of kings, Lord of lords, right? He's one that we can put our trust in. He's one we can put our faith in. And he's there for us. And he connects us to our Father in heaven who loves us and adores us. And that's why Jesus, what he did on the cross to take care of our sin, is so powerful. Okay. I'm going to finish this one section, then we're going to answer all those questions that I, that I posed at the beginning. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Can you say fiery trial? Fiery trial. It's just not a trial. It's like a fiery one. It's like, whoo, man, I feel burnt by this one. Do not be surprised at it. Because when it comes to you, to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you, don't be surprised at this when it comes to you, to test you. Don't be surprised by it. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. A couple things on that one. One, don't be surprised. Every single one of us is going to go through a, trial, a fiery trial at some point in your life. Don't be surprised by it. It's going to come at some point. But it's going to produce something in you. One, you're going to show something about who God is, something about who you are. And we're actually going to give glory to God because of something that he does in us through the trial that only the trial can produce. Only the trial can produce. None of us like it. None of us like the pressure. None of us like the challenge of it or the conflict of it. But if we allow Jesus in the middle of it, he produces something in us. It actually goes along with a scripture in James 1, uh, 2 through 4. It says, count it all joy when you have trials of many kinds because it tests your faith and when it tests your faith, it produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness is complete, lacking, leaves you lacking nothing. It leaves you lacking nothing. So, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. In other words, you're sharing. You, you, you're identifying with Christ that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Something about God shows up in the middle of your trial. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. There's some good news for you. If you're insulted because of Jesus, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Isn't that powerful, by the way? The spirit of God, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, he says rests upon you, but you know when you ask Jesus into your life, his spirit indwells you. It's so powerful to think about that, that his spirit, we are, the scripture says that we are his temple. Back in the day, Old Testament, they would build physical buildings and they would have a place called the Holy of Holies and they have the outer courts and only the priest after doing all these sacrificial systems could enter the Holy of Holies and they had a big rope tied around him because if he didn't do the ceremony cleaning right, God's powerful and um, he's pure and he's holy and he might get killed and they'd have to pull him out because they couldn't go in the Holy of Holies. But through Jesus Christ, we now can approach the throne of grace with boldness. In other words, we can now approach, come into the Holy Holies. We can now come into the place of being in God's presence because of Jesus Christ. And that's so powerful. But he, his spirit rests upon us. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in, the, in his name. For it, is time, for it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And I'm not going to go there quite yet. I want to skip back up. So when you suffer for stealing, <laughs> when you suffer, su suffer for being a murderer, which I hope none of you are or were, 
But there's grace and forgiveness for you, by the way, if you do. He's saying that kind of suffering is, is don't rejoice in that one. Because you're, you're paying the price of your, of your own doing. Thank you. But he's saying when you suffer because people are putting you down for being a Christian, there's a blessing in it. There's a blessing in it. Okay, where it says that judgment is to begin in the household of God, and it begins with us. Judgment. Who's judging us? I believe God looks at us. I believe Jesus looks at us. And he's saying it belongs in the household of God first because everyone will have to give an account for their life. Those who don't know Jesus and those who do know Jesus. Now, the good thing is, through Jesus Christ, we're not held, per se, accountable for our sins, or we're not held... When we come before the Father, our access to the Father through Jesus Christ, He does not see our sin. Because that has been taken care of by the work of the cross. But what he is saying is he's saying, just don't give your life to Jesus and then keep on living the way you want to live. We are to kind of keep pressing in and allow God to judge our hearts, keep purifying our hearts, keep giving us instruction in our hearts, and let him keep pursuing us in a way that brings greater fruitfulness in our life. Judgment starts in the household of God. Verse 18, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Good close on that thought. So if the righteous is scarcely saved, should we be concerned about our salvation? the righteous and we are marked as righteous as those who have given their life to Jesus is scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner I I don't know the measurement of that I've just come to the conclusion that every day I wake up and I say Jesus help me to become more like you today if I wake up every day saying that I never have to worry about my salvation I never have to worry about, um, am I just making it? Am I doing what I need to do? Like, I don't feel that weight of pressure of like, no, I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, help me to become more like you. Help me to keep short accounts. When I, when I mess up, help me to ask not only your forgiveness, but the forgiveness from the people I've hurt. Then you don't have to worry about Am I going to lose my salvation? But I am concerned of this. It says, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I'm concerned that those who have never had the opportunity, I should say, or those who haven't had the opportunity to receive Jesus, we know that they're going to spend eternity separated from God in this place called hell, which from what the scripture says, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, that it's 
People are still fully alive, but they're feeling this anguish. The description is that, that they were just longing for thirst but can't quench their thirst. So there's something that's not a pleasant place. I don't really know what it looks like. One place or the other place is eternity with God, which is a beautiful place where we're no longer, there's no longer tears and there's no longer broken relationships and there's no longer pain, but with God. But the good news is in this life, those who suffer according to God's will, and it's interesting that he says according to God's will, in other words, that there is suffering that may be a part of your journey. We can entrust our souls to the one who is faithful. He says he'll never give us more than we can handle. Isn't that good news? He'll never give us more than we can handle. And he is trustworthy, and we can give our lives to him. And even while we're going through difficult times, it says, while we're doing good. You you can still be doing good while you're going through difficult times. But it takes courage. It takes self-discipline. It takes a humble mind. All the things that Peter talked about ahead of time. Now you, Peter's kind of setting some standards here. And he's not like saying, you're in, you're out. You got to measure up, you don't measure up. He's just saying, he's encouraging us how to grow into what he's expecting. So let's answer these questions. Does God judge our life? And if so, to what standard? God judges every person. Every person will have an opportunity to meet Jesus face to face. And then those who have made a decision to have Jesus into their life, Jesus will represent that person before the Father. And he'll present us to the Father. And the Father will judge our life. He'll judge our works. And um, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But God will judge every single one of our lives. We want Jesus as our advocate, though, to take care of all the sin stuff, right? And to present our lives pure and holy before God. The second question we asked is, when you get saved, do you get a pass on your sin? And here he is saying, um, and many places in this scripture, do you keep on sinning after you've experienced this grace? And it says, by, by no means, by no means. And here he's saying, our righteousness, we should be pursuing right living. And when we keep living with his whole list of living for our flesh and all those categories, living for your flesh, it's actually going to bring a lot of hurt and pain in your life. And he's saying, don't keep doing that because I have better things in store for you. So when you get saved, do you get a pass? Well, we know if you die at that moment, the pass is that Jesus represents you and covers you for your sin. Thank you, Jesus. And then three, is there merit to the prosperity gospel of health and wellness? Uh, Many times he says, don't be surprised when you suffer. There have been times of saying, if you've got got sickness in your body, you don't have enough faith. And I would just say, maybe sickness in your body is the very thing that God is using to build your faith. 
when you go through trials, the fiery trials, when it says that we'll have, maybe it's the very thing that God's using. So, so don't, I would encourage you, one, don't start judging people because they've got stuff going on in their life. Celebrate with them and come and encourage them because God's doing a great work in their life. And this health and wealth, and, and I don't see where Jesus spent a lot of time saying, hey, you know, have a lot of wealth in your life. Nothing wrong with wealth, but don't let your wealth become your idol. So is there merit to it? I would say um, I don't see in the scriptures where there is room for a prosperity gospel. I think there's room for a Jesus that promises to never leave us or forsake us, that he works all things together for good, that in the midst of our pain and struggles, that he perfects something in us. He's a redeeming God. He's a restoring father who always takes bad situations and makes them good. That's the God we serve. He's not our genie to give us every little um, wish that we rub on beck and call. <laughs> he's just a good father. That The Bible says that he disciplines those he loves. In other words, he brings correction. And like a good father, though, he does that so lovingly for us. Well, First Peter had a lot to say. I think if I were to sum it up is keep pursuing right living, realizing our flesh will trip us up. Try to pursue living for the will of God and not for the will of your flesh. Realize that your, um, your sufferings, your trials can produce something so beautiful in your life. If you allow him and allow Jesus in the middle of it. And then realize that as you pursue Jesus, and that means your friends might say, hey, how come you don't keep coming to those parties? Hey, how come you don't, you know, do what you used to do and start making fun of you? There's a blessing in it. There's a blessing in it. And realize that Jesus is still with you and he's for you and he'll prosper you. That's the prospering, to never leave you or forsake you and build you up. Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pastor Mark, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us in watching our services online. Maybe you can't be at our location today and you're watching this from home or on the road. We just want to say thank you for tuning in. And maybe you can't get to a physical location at Grace Capital Church, then this becomes part of your regular routine to do church live on your computer or on your device. We want to say Invite some friends with you. Do church together. Life is so much better together and discovering what God has for us is meant to be done in community. Gather people together and enjoy these services for weeks to come. Thank you for watching.